Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Think Again About Success and is the second teaching in our Think Again series. It was taught by Molly Conaway on April 25th, 2021. Thanks for listening. So last week, Caleb began his teaching. You can go back and listen to it on the podcast or on YouTube. But he started his teaching by introducing a series of statements that we were supposed to know something about. When in reality, the whole thing was a trick because the statements were false. And we also got some negative feedback, some complaints that Caleb made everybody do math very early in the morning. So no math today. But I do have some questions for you that might reveal something about your age. First question, do you know what this is? So when I was in school, if recess was canceled because of the the rain or the snow, we would go inside and sit down on the library floor and they would wheel one of these things in. It was a massive TV that was like strapped to the top of this huge cart. And then they would put one of these things on the left into one of these things on the right. These are called VHS tapes. And then this would come on. Reading Rainbow, such a classic with LeVar Burton. And at the end of every Reading Rainbow episode, kids would come on the screen and give like a 30 second book report on all of the books that were referenced in that Reading Rainbow episode. I feel like we could start doing this with most of our teachings. You know, all of our teachers use a variety of authors and resources, people in our community to to put these teachings together. So here for today, I have, um, here's today's teaching are brought to you, is brought to you by these three books. Caleb introduced this book last week. It's called Think Again. It's by Adam Grant. It's what this whole teaching series is kind of based around. And today I'm also going to reference quite a bit this book called The Rise by Sarah Lewis. The Rise is about creativity, the gift of failure, and the search for mastery. I'm also including the New Testament book of Romans in my list of book reports for today. But this is the second teaching in a series that we're calling Think Again. Caleb introduced it beautifully last week. We we wrapped up our long study on the Gospel of John. We celebrated the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And now we're asking ourselves this question. If the resurrection of Jesus is about something new, there is a good chance that our normal behaviors and ways of thinking are standing in the way of embodying it. So so what does it mean to rethink, to unlearn, and to humbly admit that all we know is not all there is? as we're finding our way back to God and as we're helping others find their way back to God. We think it's important to ask good questions about God and about faith and about doubt. We think it's important to catch ourselves when we seem to become certain about everything. In this book, Think Again, Adam Grant says this, it'll be on the screen. Great thinkers don't harbor doubts because they're imposters. They maintain doubts because they know we're all partially blind and they're committed to improving their sight. They don't boast about how much they know. They marvel at how little they understand. They're aware that each answer raises new questions. So today is about rethinking this idea of success. 
And there's three ideas that I want to use to help us rethink success. The first one's archery. The second one is the Arctic floor and also responses to grace. Today, I'd like to spend some time rethinking an element of spiritual spirituality. You could say spiritual formation, discipleship, rethinking the process of finding our way back to God. And I'd like to start uh, that by learning from the Columbia University archery team. So there's going to be some pictures that come up on the screen. Sarah Lewis in The Rise opens her book by spending a day with the Columbia University archery team. At Columbia, archery is predominantly a female sport. Athletes release arrows at 150 miles per hour aimed at targets 75 yards away. Lewis says that every archer has to calculate the arc of a rise, the drop and horizontal shifts of the arrow's path, a trajectory they can only predict. Before even accounting for wind speeds, there's always some degree of displacement that happens when the arrow leaves the bow at the skew angle from the target so that the fletching doesn't hit the string upon release. This is how the arrow is crafted. If you're right-handed in archery, you aim sharply to the left to hit the bullseye. This skill means focusing on your mark, the likely shape of the arrow's arched flight, and the many variables that can knock it off all at once. If an archer's aim is off by less than a half a degree, she won't hit her target. Archery, she says, requires constant reinvention and a whole lot of near wins. You miss the target one moment, you hit it minutes later, you miss it again the next shot. She says this, she said, watching an archery team in this modern age had been like seeing an ancient relic, a vestige of the past way of work that we rarely spot in action. She said, there's not a context where, this is not a context where there is a victor, but there's a pursuit of mastery. Mastery is what the archers are going for, not perfection. It's not possible in archery, not success. It doesn't matter if you just hit the target once. They're going for mastery. And mastery isn't a word we reference often, especially when it comes to our spiritual life. But this is what Lewis says about mastery. This quote will be on the screen. Mastery requires endurance. Mastery, a word we don't use often, is not the equivalent of what we might consider its cognate, perfectionism, an inhuman aim motivated by a concern of how others view us. Mastery is also not the same as success, an event-based victory based on a peak point, a punctuated moment in time. Mastery is not merely a commitment to a goal, but to a curved line, to a constant pursuit. Masters are not experts because they take a subject to its conceptual end. They are masters because they realize there isn't one. I wonder what might change if we start to view our journeys of faith as a commitment to a curved line, a constant pursuit, not a journey to success, not a journey to perfection, a journey towards mastery that requires some endurance. You know, one of the phrases we use often at crossings is that faith is never meant to be this like position on. It's meant to be a journey toward. There's, there's not this point in your faith where all of a sudden we're like, oh, we've arrived. 
And, and Lewis says that the mastery she witnessed on the archery field that day was not glamorous at all. And, and I don't know how you describe your journey in life of faith. Not glamorous is a great way to describe mine. I mean, here's what I mean. Have you ever thought, well, maybe in a different season, I'll be closer to God. Or, or maybe in a different time in life, I'll be more spiritual and I'll be closer to God. Because even that idea places in our mind that a life of faith, a life following Jesus, should feel better and look better, more glamorous than it does sometimes. I think that this is something to rethink. In the New Testament book of Romans, the author Paul paints a picture of the mess that humanity finds itself in. It's just so messy and broken. And then he spends a few chapters painting a picture of the amazing faithfulness of God despite the mess of humanity. And then in Romans chapter 12, he, he takes a turn in his letter saying, because the mess humanity is in and because of the faithfulness of God, here's what you can do. Here's how to respond. In view of God's mercy, your, your translation might say. Here's what Romans 12 says in the message. Here's what I want you to do. Yours might say, in view of God's mercy, God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. There it is, think again. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. As with archery, I think Paul is saying that there is this constant reinvention, constant revision that is needed in the ways we're responding to the grace and the faithfulness of God. A constant reassessment of our location in relation to the target, of the wind speeds, of the variables. And at some point you do have to shoot the arrow. Faith can't just stay in our heads. It has to be worked out with our hands and with our feet. Here's how Paul suggests this is worked out in our hands and our feet. We're jumping down to verse nine. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other, don't be stuck up. Make friends with the nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. 
And then Paul says, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Paul Actemeyer, a commentator on the book of Romans, reminds us that placing our life before God, our everyday ordinary life, is not a pursuit of success. These are not like new rules Paul is laying out that we must fulfill if God is to accept us. He's just saying that if we accept and embrace God's love and faithfulness, even if we don't understand it sometimes, it is going to reshape and reorient our lives. This this list Paul gives is not some prescription, not like a recipe for a successful life. This list Paul gives are some of the natural responses of the grace of God. I mean, maybe hear it like this. When you're embracing and responding to God's love and faithfulness, you're also becoming most fully human. You're going to become people who love from the center of who you are, most authentically yourself. When you're responding to the love and faithfulness of God, you are more attentive to the good in the world. That's kind of how Paul is saying this. When you are responding to the love and faithfulness of the grace of God, you're becoming a better friend. You're becoming more empathetic. You're becoming generous. You'll start discovering the beauty in everyone. You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about justice this week, and, and rightly so. Tim Keller says the same thing in, in a quote from his book, Generous Justice. He says, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace that he has experienced, and at worst he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. So in view of God's mercy, Paul says in Romans 12. We are invited to think again about our habits and our practices, about the ways we are responding to God's grace and to what's happening in the world around us. And you know, sometimes we get it right and then we hit the target and sometimes the arrow misses the next moment and some revision is needed. We're not going to get things right every time. Spiritual formation is about the journey And sometimes the path forward is clear, and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes when the path is clear, something happens and we wake up one day and feel further from God than we ever have. Mastery is about the constant pursuit. It's about the continued exploration. So speaking of exploration, another story that Sarah Lewis talks about in The Rise is the story of a guy named Ben Saunders. Saunders is one of the world's greatest explorers. He is the third person in the world to reach the North Pole on foot solo. No one has done it since him. And in the rise, Sarah tells the story of this Arctic journey. It's absolutely incredible. Saunders refers to himself as an explorer. And he said it's kind of an odd vocation to have. I mean, by the end of the 19th century, explorers worked themselves out of a job. 
He, he's not there as a scientist gathering specimen and making geographical studies or doing magnetic research. Saunders describes his mission as an explorer, something like a craftsman or an artist would describe the work they do. One of the most amazing things Saunders says about his Arctic journey was, was the way he experienced uh, surrendering to what is called the negative drift. So I learned in this book that the Arctic is not one big like ice cap. It's actually a lot of sheets of ice, some only feet across, some miles long. And these ice sheets are always moving, always drifting. I mean, it is a great parallel to our own journeys. And what the negative drift means is that the ocean floors would move ice sheets backwards. So this is my Ben Saunders. So as Saunders was trying to advance forward across the ice sheet, the ice sheet was moving backwards. He said one day he skied north for eight or nine hours as the ice sheet drifted back two miles. He said sometimes he would hike and ski all day, headed closer to his goal. And then he would go to sleep at night and wake up further away than when he started, completely erasing the gains he made that day. Saunders said, you just have to come to a place of surrender to the physical environment. And this isn't surrender like throwing in the towel and quitting. It's surrender like giving over to the journey, to the process of letting go of all he couldn't control. I wanna to read to you what Saunders said about this experience. And you know, the past month, the past year has been really hard for some people in our community. Um, so if that's you, see if, if Saunders' experience, his description of his journey resonates with you. He said, there were days when it seemed completely impossible and I couldn't even contemplate the ultimate goal. There were days when I'd just look at a bit of ice in front of me on the right bearing north and just think all I'm going to do is to think about getting to that bit of ice there. That's 30 feet away. And when I get there, if I get there, that will be a success. It'll be in the right direction. And then I can think about the rest of it. So there were days like that when I just had to break it down into the smallest possible steps. You know, every week we talk about shalom, this wholeness, this restoration, the way God intended things to be. We bless each other with shalom. We attempt to enact and seek shalom. But I'll be honest, there's some days where I feel like all I'm seeing is not shalom. There's some days when I wake up and it feels like the ice sheet moved back two miles overnight. But what I'm learning from Saunders' journey and what I'm learning from archery and what I'm learning from Romans 12 is that this life of faith has nothing to do with success. It's not a straight line forward. It has everything to do with paying attention to all the variables, making little tweaks to the arrow and the direction and taking the next smallest step towards shalom as we respond to the faithfulness and the grace of God. Would you pray with me this powerful prayer that I read this week from Ted Loader? Come Lord Jesus, disturb our indifference, expose our practiced phoniness, shatter our certainties, deflate our arrogance, 
and craze us into a holy awareness of our common humanity and so of our bony and bloody need to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you and with each other. God, we trust that whatever things it may be too late for, prayer is not one of them. We trust that whatever things it may be too late for, another chance is not one of them. Neither is passion, nor laughter, nor starting again. Neither is risking a way to better live together. We trust that it is not a wild, far-sighted claim that this human stuff of yours is stronger still than time and failure and that all is grace to share in this kingdom marked by you. Amen. So as we sing this next song together, I invite you to take common meal. You might call it Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, taking this bread and this juice, the body and the blood given for us. This is grace that we respond to. This meal taking time to physically act it out as Jesus did the night he was betrayed. This is one of the ways, these small little reorientations, realignments in our life, our everyday ordinary life, aligning ourselves and realigning ourselves every week to the story and the mission of God. So I invite you to take the bread and, and the wine when you're ready during this next song. 